everybody, Randy here. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank our friends at Precision Pro Golf. I know the summer is winding down. Uh, we're in the dog days of it in most of the country, but hopefully your golf game is still going strong and you still have time to accomplish those goals for 2021. And no better way to help you get there than using the NX9 Slope Rangefinder from Precision Pro Golf. It's fast, accurate, and reliable. It's the favorite rangefinder of NLU from the C-Suite, the Strat Boys, even the NARC Mr. Pie. We all trust Precision Pro Golf to get us to the green. It's got a ton of cool features. It's very easy to use. It's got a pulse vibration when it picks up on the distance. It's got a magnetic strip built into it that you can place right on the frame of your golf cart. Super convenient. Precision Pro Golf is also the only rangefinder company that offers free battery replacement services. So you're not only getting a rangefinder, you're signing up for a lifetime service. Uh, I can't stress how nice that is. Right now, our listeners can receive an extra $20 off the NX9 slope by using coupon code TRAPDRAW, all one word, TRAPDRAW. Go to precisionprogolf.com. That's precisionprogolf.com. Use the coupon code TRAPDRAW at checkout for $20 off our favorite rangefinder, the NX9 slope. Swing with confidence, hit more greens, maybe even get yourself a hole-in-one before the year's over with Precision Pro Golf. We thank them very much for sponsoring the Trap Draw, and now let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Trap Draw episode. My name, as always, is Randy, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Tron Carter. TC, good afternoon. How are we today? Good, good. A little rainy down here, Randy. We got the, the remnants of Tropical Storm Fred rolling through. Uh, a little windy. And Freddie, my son, just keeps, keeps saying, Dada, it's my storm. It's my storm. Pretty sight. Fred's such a good name for a, a storm. It's kind of a dud, though, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, hate that. It's expecting this one to be much more of a menace, although it, it, it sounds like it's going to be a big, big moisture producer through, uh, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. And I think we're kind of officially into hurricane season, right? Is, we're well uh, into it. It's been kind of quiet thus far, knock on wood. Um, Grace looks like it's going to peter out down in the in the leeward islands and kind of just head straight west. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, all bets are off if the Gulf Stream shuts down like they say it's going to in the next that's however many years. That's so, going to be tough. Yeah. That, that, you know, that's that what shields tough. us here in Jack's from, yeah. you know, it either hits South Florida or goes up to Charleston K- area. The Carolinas. Yeah. 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 So, um, what do we need to, where, where do we want to start this week? We're going to Scotland. Uh, I I guess we can just start here. Uh, the women's British open, they're playing at Carnoustie. So women's British open presented by her majesty, the queen, I think, right. It's the Rico women's British open. Oh, it's no longer, I think. Right. 
Is it the AIG Women's Open? It's the AIG Women's Open. No okay. longer the it was the Rico British Women's Open, but now it's just the or Women's British Open, but now it's just the the Women's Open. Okay. The AIG Women's Open presented by Her Majesty the Queen. I think I have all that. I, Solly just rattles that off, and I, I never quite know exactly what all's in there. Um, so anyway, that's that's our that's our rough uh, theme for this week's trap draw. Excited to watch that on TV. I think as our guest points out, though, I, it's looking like maybe a mild forecast, which I'm a little mm. disappointed about. I, I want to see crowd by the weather. I know. I want to see some carnage. Huh? Yeah. We we. You know, we, we looked hard at uh, at Boise. We did. Corn Ferry Tours in Boise. Um, we're still gathering knowledge on Boise. Boise's in flux. It sounds like there's just too many Californians moving there. So, didn't do Boise. Uh, where's the European tour this week, Big? Uh, TC, that's such a good question. I let me, let me buy some time and say, I think I want to talk to Dan Hawkins about Boise, if we ever go to Boise. It's mm. my... One of my dream Boise guests there. What's, uh, what's Dan Hawkins up to these days? I don't know. The former Colorado Buffaloes coach, correct? Yeah, exactly. And before that, Boise, of course. Uh, the Euros are in the Czech Republic in Prague, which would have been interesting. I, I gotta, I gotta admit though, my Rolodex, my network in Prague is is not very deep, so I don't, I don't even know who we would have efforted. TC, how about this? Dan Hawkins is is coaching football. He's at UC Davis. UC Davis is that the wine school? That's the one they've they've got an excellent wine program up there. I think uh, yeah. Davis is up by like Sacramento, right? I believe that's right. It's his alma mater. They're in the Big Sky. How about that? Huh. Unbelievable. That's really cool. That is. Cool. I think they've got like a really like just premier veterinary and and viticulture programs i love that so holy shit it is like mega mega windy oh my god we're having just a major squall pushing through randy fred's bucking his head crazy this was Uh, not in the uh what else we got we got uh omaha last week people people got on us a little bit yeah some of the nebraska yeah. Um, gosh, what did I, I took a lot, I guess people were dismayed that I like hadn't heard more of the, uh, Missouri river being the border of Omaha. Listen, I, that's, I just didn't, I didn't know. Um, what uh, else did we get wrong? All over me. I got, I, I said, Walt Frazier. It was Willis Reed. Ah, I got my Knicks mixed, mixed up. For Creighton basketball. So I apologize for that. That's cool. Uh, a lot of people upset with uh, Wilhelm about, you know, his, his, uh, his disdain for Nebraska hoops. Yeah. I'm shocked though, that they're actually Nebraska basketball fans, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, what a moribund program. Exactly. I, I can't think of a less relevant program over so. like my whole life. Uh, we didn't want to do New Jersey this week, uh, which is the tours in, in, you know, outside of New York, across the bay there, across the river there. No interest in that whatsoever. None. None. Take it away. Although you're a massive yeah, Liberty would, National fan. 
Oh, huge, huge. It's uh, God, what a what a soulless, soulless looking place that is. I've never been. Neil's been. Neil's played it before, but yeah, like I'm good. Uh, so. well, TC, I want to start with probably the the most important news of the last week. I don't know if you heard, but um, the Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita uh, came out last week with a very important announcement. And essentially what it said was, uh, this guy sounds like a a true character. Yeah. The, 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 the tweet was Indiana attorney general, Todd Rokita suspects Valparaiso university may be operating under the influence of the Chinese government and serving as a beacon for communist propaganda in the Hoosier state. How about that TC? So this is in, in, reaction to them changing their their mascot or their name from the crusaders to something else oh is that is that the connection i think so i think that's what he was saying uh yeah because they just changed it to the beacons they were the crusaders and now they're the beacons a lot of name name you know i I, so i think the crusaders was i guess crusader is a is a term, you know, used often by the the alt right and some, <laughs> some some of the white nationalists. Um, is that is that what you're reporting as uncovered? I, I believe so. And uh, but yeah, so so we've got the beacons, and then you know it fits right in. You got the Cleveland, the Guardians, coming too. Yeah, formerly uh, formerly the the uh, the Cleveland Indians, the tribe. Can I tell you, oh, so Rokita gave a quote to the Indianapolis Star who, uh, who said, the societal and political costs of the Chinese Communist Party infiltrating our universities and K-12 through education institutes to indoctrinate our students is incalculable. Uh, I guess this is a spokesperson for the attorney general said. When asked how much the investigation will cost taxpayers in Indiana, Comparatively, the cost of our investigation is minimal, but will depend upon the details of the investigation. So, so they're gonna they're gonna spend taxpayer dollars to investigate whether Valparaiso University, home of Bryce Drew, Homer Drew, uh, is a front for the Chinese Communist Party. That, that's that could be my fit. I don't know if a news story is gonna get better than that this whole year. Crazy. I mean, who knew that Valparaiso, Indiana, you know, up there by. Gary, Indiana, northwest corner of the state. Who knew that that was going to be just just such a uh, a hotbed for communist propaganda? Apparently, Valpo has a Confucius Institute, which was founded in two thousand and eight, and and uh, it aims at helping northwest Indiana citizens learn about China and its people and culture, and study the Chinese language, and promoting cultural, particularly music, exchange between the U.S. and China. Hmm. Interesting. So Rokita's coming at the Confucius Institute, I guess. When was when was uh, Bryce Drew there as coach? Um, a few, a couple years ago. He he had pretty good success there, and then he went to Vanderbilt and totally bombed out at Vanderbilt. I, you know what? I could see him being involved with this. I could see Baylor having ties in here, obviously. Which, which obviously Scott Drew, of course, of course, you know. So, you know, why, why stop with Valpo? Let's, yeah. let's, let, let's keep it going, Mr. Rookie. I, I'd say this is probably the tip of the iceberg. I'm with you. 
We don't know how far this goes. Uh, gosh, Randy, you sent me a great, great article about, uh, or a thread about Uber. Oh my gosh. I know you're a big Uber guy. I was hoping you would like that. Um, this guy, what's, oh God, what's the guy's name? Corey Doctorow, I believe is his name. Just went in on Uber. Um, yeah, at Doctorow. Essentially, his whole thing is Uber is a bezel, which is has quickly become one of our favorite words. I didn't really know what a bezel was before reading this, but apparently it's the magic interval when a confidence trickster knows he has the money he has appropriated, but the victim does not yet understand that he has lost it. And he has this massive Twitter thread explaining how Uber is a, a bezel and they're just, you know, they're fleecing us all. It's fantastic. It's, it's so sick. Yeah. I encourage everybody to check it out. Um, let's see what I, I wanted to uh, take a, a moment to applaud Cam Newton on the outfit that he was wearing before the game for their first preseason game last week. Looked just fantastic. It looked like a great fit. He's, you know, he's totally, totally reversed himself in my book. I used to hate Cam. Now he's, now he's probably my favorite, favorite player in the league now. That's, uh, that's fantastic. And then, you know, speaking, think, uh, speaking, speaking of, of yeah. speaking of the NFL, what can we get a comment on you on the, uh, the early returns of the Tim Tebow project as a tight end? Yeah. So, somehow the, the, uh, the, you know, block that went viral wasn't even the worst block he had all game. He had another one that he just totally whiffed on. Like, can you imagine trying to be, uh, you know, a running back fighting for your place on the roster or a tackle next to this guy? And this, you know, this clown is, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I like Tim Tebow. I just don't think like he hasn't earned or he, he doesn't deserve a place on this team where like that, like H back, tight end is an important position in this offense and they're just wasting a fucking roster spot. Like there's 85 roster spot. I have no idea. It's like, is it something that urban's basically saying, Hey, this is good. This is my glowing brain idea to keep publicity in the spotlight off of Trevor Lawrence as much during camp. Yeah. I don't know. Or does he just need friendlies in the locker room? You know, does he need like cheerleaders? But I got to imagine they're, you have guys looking at Tebow, especially after that performance at, at tight end, just being like, what, like have to be losing respect for the coaching staff, right? Yeah, it's making a mockery of like the system and the position and all that. It's basically saying anybody can come in and learn how to be a fullback or learn how to be a tight end. Like it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, shit, like I'd be totally fine if he brought him in as an assistant coach. You know, I right. think the guy has stuff to offer. Like I don't of think. Of course. I have no personal issue with Tim Tebow. It's just like what, you know, like if they don't cut him this week when they have to cut down, like do that first round of cuts, then like that's going to be pretty fucking damning for Urban. Well, I, I, what I don't understand is Tebow's 34 years old. You know, he obviously one of the best college football players in the history of college football. I gave it a go in the NFL. Like, well, what, what's he holding on to, right? Why, why doesn't he just move on with his life, get into something else, start coaching or teaching or do do something? I don't, I don't understand what he, like, wh- what's he grasping at by trying to do this? Which, of all people, like, you would think that he seems to have a lot going on off the field, 
you know, where like you would think he'd be all over that. Right. Presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Got a found. He does great stuff with his foundation. I don't know all that. It's just it's bizarre. Something. So. Yeah, something's always kind of stunk a little bit there for me. It's like what what's really going on? Like why why like why are you trying to play minor league baseball, dude? Like why? I I don't I don't get it. Uh, offensive line looked like shit too. Your Broncos, man. Your Broncos look good. Oh. Nebish Teddy and uh, Drew Locke both slinging it out there. Well, I, I, I just, you know, I know how this story, anytime you go into the year with Nevish Teddy and Drew Locke as your court, like it, it's just not going to end that well. You know, I, there's no way that they don't win. I, how many games are they playing this year? 17, 17. They're, you know, sign me up for six, seven wins right now. The, you're just, you're not going to win more games than that with those quarterbacks. Your Bengals struggling to, uh, you know, Jesse Bates wants a new contract. They're not going to extend him yeah. at this point. Mike Brown doing Mike Brown stuff. It's yeah, that's just modus operandi for the Brown family. Um, they did beat the Bucks though in the preseason opener. So huge, huge dub, a huge dub, beating the defending Super Bowl champs. Come on. My wife went to the Jags game the other night. I just said like, like I, you couldn't pay me to go a oh. preseason. NFL game. They're God. the worst. In Jacksonville, too, when it's so hot and humid. Oh, awful. Yeah. Awful. Like, there's nothing awful. to play for. There, it's, it's like nobody cares who wins or loses. It's like the, it's the most soulless game you can go to. It's the worst. It's a great, it's a great, I think they're great to take like small kids because I don't think you want to take small kids to a regular season NFL game. But other than that, I, yeah, I don't know why anybody would voluntarily go. Although I saw I saw a clip of a couple of guys brawling at the uh, I think it was the Chargers Rams game, which was fantastic. Yeah. And then that lady throws the throws the bottle or the uh, you know Coke in there at the end. It was that was that was high, highly entertaining. I th- I think she kind of t- she kind of set it all off, didn't she? It was yeah. kind of like a uh, great parallels with the the malice at the palace, which exactly. fabulous documentary. Yeah, a lot, a lot of Detroit people rolling into my mention saying it was, you know, it was one-sided. It was like, yeah, that's the fucking point. Like the Pacers didn't get the a chance to say their side of the story for twenty years, you know, or, or, yeah. or fifteen years. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, and they were like, oh my god, they they did the fans so like those fans were complete clowns. I, I well, yeah, no, I'm team Pacers after that. I'm, I'm team Jo. Of course, Captain Jacks. Uh, I even thought Ron Artest, you know, like he's he comes off as a child, but kind of, of like course. a course. And yeah. he kind of, you know, he he someone owns his shit where he needs to. Made me feel bad for Reggie Miller. Too. Yeah. You know. Uh, Apparently Tinsley. Tinsley was the, the key. He told Ron that he could use his foul now. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> which which I think Tinsley's a certified bad guy. I think he is too. Yeah. Those, uh, those Pacers teams, that was combustible. I think Bonnie Walsh was the, was the MVP in my book. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was great. He was like, you know what? I'm, I'm throwing it all against the wall. I'm sending it here. Oh my God. Uh, gosh, what else we got? Um, oh, you've been shitting all over uh, Kyle Shanahan. I'd like to just get this on the record here. No. I, uh, we have this text there with Poosh, and Poosh and I are massive, massive Kyle Shanahan fans. Well, you guys just slurp him so hard that I just feel like I have to 
play devil's advocate because you, you guys are out here calling him the greatest offensive mind in the history of the game. And I just, I need to point out that, you know, he has a sub 500 record as a head coach in the NFL. Listen, there's something, you know, most injured team in like the history of the league last year. I know. First push, push, push loves, push loves to play that card. Like it's, uh, you know, like you get points for being injured. Like nobody at the end of the day, nobody cares. Uh, you know, it, it's not like you, they don't hand out a woulda, coulda, shoulda trophy. He's, he's going to be a predator with an actual quarterback under center. It can do go you, off script. Do you think Trey Lance is an actual quarterback? I think he's an actual quarterback. You know, I don't, I don't know if he's there yet, but I, I get a hell of a lot more excited about him than I do Jimmy. Uh, yeah. I, the, the offensive numbers, though, when Jimmy's been healthy are like top five in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand why Jimmy is getting pushed out of town, I guess. A, he can't stay healthy, and B, he can't go off script, which mm. that's, a, that's basically Kyle, that's Coach Shanahan operating through the arm of Jimmy. <laughs> you just like proved our point for us. No, I think Jimmy G is, I think he's a good quarterback. He, he, I, I, I think he's getting a bad rep. I, I'm not sold on Trey Lance. All right. Well, we've got, we've got Bengals Niners this year. It's massive. And then, I, and, then we're, and then we're going out to the, uh, the uh, Niners Rams game out in LA week 17 or week 18 or whatever. Exactly. Are you guys, are you going to be rooting for the Niners? Uh, TBD. I don't know. Yeah, probably the Niners just cause you know, McVay's my guy, but I'm, I'm all aboard Shanny. <laughs> oh my God. Poosh, Poosh gave you some Kool-Aid and now he's, he's radicalized me. Uh, oh my God. Uh, yeah, but that'll be fun. All right. So we got to keep an eye on, on Shanny this year, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, Poosh was also very upset randomly just came at us the other day about the Bengals drafting Jamar Chase instead of uh, the left tackle, Panay Sewell. Sewell's struggling in camp. You know, I, I think I think the Bengals addressed it with Rife and with um, the second rounder they got and then and then homeboy that was hurt last year from Alabama. They got yeah. him back this year. You know, I'm, I'm fine with it. And they got a new O-line coach. Exactly. I, I, I think they tried to shake things up. We'll see if it helps. Uh, I don't think Burrow is going to play week two either. I, I think we're looking at week three for his preseason debut is what I've heard. Which is totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else? What else, Tron? Anything, anything else going on in the world? I'm so excited for Corn Ferry Finals here. It's like my favorite three-week stretch of the golf calendar. Will they go Boise to Columbus to Indiana? Yeah, Boise, Columbus, Indiana. Okay. Well, wow, what a what a travel schedule. Um, yeah, better than it used to be. It used to be Portland. That's right. <laughs> Portland, then Columbus, then Boise, then uh, Cleveland, maybe. Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. And then Jacksonville. Yeah. So okay. Well, that's yeah. a good stretch. Like I said, I'm super pumped to see the the women's open at Carnoustie. I plan to watch a lot of that this week. Um, Randy, I'm I'm uh, I'm getting a lot of rumors about the the 2022-2023 PGA Tour schedule. So not this coming year, but the the following season. What what, what do I need to know? Anything pertinent? Basically, that they're just going to nuke the fall series. They're no longer going to be part of the FedEx Cup. Wow, going back to silly season. 
Yeah, going back to silly season, I imagine it's something to you know make make room for some international events. You could probably do some knockoff PGL type stuff. Um, maybe do Zozo, CJ Cup, and then something in Australia, and maybe something you know incorporate some of the the race to Dubai stuff as well. So wow, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. More to come. I've been. Wheels have been turning. I've been, I've got all sorts of ideas, all sorts of guesses on what they're going to do. You're working your sources. Yeah. Working my sources a little bit, but just kind of, you know, putting all this together, right. It's just, it's all out there. It's all, all these clues are out there. It's just a matter of putting them all together, connecting the dots, Randy. You're doing beautiful mind stuff in your, in your shed. Um, which, yeah, we got to do one of these episodes coming up. We'll do stuff, stuff we've been watching lately too. Cause I'm watching pig tonight. Oh my God. Pig's so good. I want to, I want to talk so to good. All right. So. And we got to watch a lot of buzz about this white Lotus yeah. show on HBO. Yeah. So all stuff there. Yeah. So. Got to try to get into that. All right. Well, let's get to our guests this week. TC, I'm going to be brutally honest. I didn't even have the, I, I didn't even effort anybody this week except for our oh initial guest. Did you reach out to any, anybody? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> We, I think, I think this truly may have been our our top choice. And our we, only, you know, only choice. We got our choice. We knew, we knew we had to get this guy. We got our guy. We get we we rocked him. Uh, our our guest this week is Mr. John Huggin, uh, at John Huggin on Twitter. He is uh, writes a number of places. Most most often at Golf Digest. Great player in his own right back in the day. And just kind of one of our favorite, you know, old school media, kind of old guard types. Uh, can get very curmudgeonly from time to time. Exactly. Like, like, like he, and, he, and El, he and Lawrence Donegan and, uh, and Corrigan used to just come at us. And now I think they've kind of realized like, hey, we're, we're on your side here. We're old, old souls like you guys. You I know? hope. I mean, I think that's what we all hope. Um, uh, they, yeah, they just love, love their, their energy and crustiness and, and their general demeanor. So, yeah. So we have uh Mr. John Huggin on the show. Uh, it's a little bit of a scattershot. It turns into more of just a general conversation on, on the state of professional golf, but there's a few Scotland specific nuggets uh, thrown in along the way too. So, uh, TC, anything else to add before, uh, before we toss it to that? Yeah. Randy, who you got this week? Who's your pick for the, for the women's open? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to go off the board and say, uh, the Titicool from Thailand. Yeah. She's been, she's been tearing it up. I think, you know, if we're looking for one of the next, people to burst onto the scene first time winner first time major winner uh i think that would be cool i am going with uh i'm going with lydia that's a good she, pick it was second last week she's she's killing it right now she's yeah. just a, she's on the warpath yeah she's so. been playing a lot of good golf uh yeah. all right well let's uh let's toss it let's toss it to a conversation with john huggin Hey, before we get to that interview, I want to thank our other sponsor for today's episode, and that is our good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. 
TC, everybody's favorite time of the year is right around the corner, college football season. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard that right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. TC, who I don't even know. What are the big stories? What are we keeping an eye on this year in college football? Anything on your radar? You know, other than the whole realignment thing, um, I'm looking to see if Florida State can can kind of get things back on track. Uh, same with the U. They can kind of keep some of this momentum they've got going on. Um, how about you? I, I think that's about it. You know, of course, we're, we're always keeping an eye on the Miami Redhawks, seeing if they can make some noise in the MAC. Seeing if Which they is can probably make- the best betting, right? I mean, you know, midweek MACTION is, is the uh, of best course. Out, so. I'm, I'm hoping this might be the year they finally beat UC, although they're going to be a heavy, heavy uh, underdog in that one. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, right now, listeners, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code TRAPDRAW to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code TRAPDRAW to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Thank them very much for sponsoring the Trap Draw. And now on to our conversation. Okay, joining us now on the line, live from Scotland. Uh, first time we've had him on, Mr. John Huggin. John, how are you today? And uh, where are you today? Uh, well, I'm, I'm at home enjoying some unexpectedly nice weather here in Scotland today. So I, uh, I even hit some golf balls this morning. It's that nice. Oh my gosh. Is that, is yeah. that a rare occurrence for you to, to get out and hit balls? Increasingly rare. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't say I hit them very well. I just said I hit them. Yeah. 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 I, I hear you there. Uh, well, where's home for you? Let me start there. Uh, well, I live uh, sort of near Forfar in Angus. It's about 25 minutes from Carnoustie, just north of Dundee. Okay. How long have you lived in that part of Scotland? Uh, oh, just over a decade. Now, my wife is from up here. I'm actually from East Lothian, a uh, little village called West Barnes, which is near Dunbar, North Berwick and Gullin sure. area. So uh, I was brought up in a pretty good place for golfers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And have you spent most of your life then in Scotland? Uh, yes. Uh, apart from a decade um, when I had two years in London when I was at Golf World, the now defunct Golf World magazine, and then eight years with Golf Digest when I lived in Connecticut. Okay. All right. So you were stateside then for a little bit. How, how did you like Connecticut? Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, I especially liked the, the Yale University course where I was a member. I, was, uh, I loved playing there. Very yeah. difficult, but great fun. Yeah. I, you know, that's one I have not gotten to yet. And I've heard everybody that's played it, you know, obviously, um, great architectural, uh, mm. being a, a rainer. Um, I, I got to get up there. Yeah. It's, uh, if you like blind shots and over hills and across hills and down hills and over lakes and all sorts of things, it's great fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, 
obviously we I wanted to talk to you uh the women's british open the women's open championship I should say is at Carnoustie how many times have you been and and played Carnoustie and walked around that golf course oh many times um my fam when I was about 14 I think we went there for a week's holiday my father and I played there every day for a week uh, that was the first time I'd seen it it was in pretty poor shape that was in the early 70s it's been transformed since then um, but I played in a um, I played in a Scottish amateur championship there in I think it's 1982. So yeah, and I've been back many times since. It's uh, it's it's a wonderful course, very very difficult in a wind, but uh, but great fun. It's hosted one uh, women's championship prior to this, but what what kind of championship venue do you think it'll be for the the women this week? Well, it's um, yeah, I guess all oh, it depends on the weather um, as ever on a links. Um, if they get the weather forecast actually pretty good, I think for this week. So uh, I would imagine the scoring will be decent. Um, the course setup, I actually, um, for a story that will appear tomorrow on, uh, if you can allow me to plug this on golf, please. Yeah, please. Uh, I walked around the, the course a couple of weeks ago with uh, Grant Moyer, who's the course setup guy for the RNA and got his thoughts on what exactly he's going to try and do, um, with the course, um, in the coming days. Will it be? I, I'm just like because the last time the women played Carnoustie was 2011. Uh, yeah. That was the year Yanni Sang won, um, and her winning score was uh, to par was 16 under. And yeah. I, hearing you say the forecast might be good this week, I, I a little part of me is a little disappointed. Maybe that we're not going to get that um, the carnage of of Carnoustie, perhaps. Well, I mean, 10 years ago, I think if my memory serves, the, the course was running really fast um, and there wasn't much wind. Um, and when you get that combination on a links, uh, the scoring is generally good, men or women. Um, but the, the scoring doesn't really matter. It's, uh, it's the shots that they hit and how they, you know, the strategy and the decisions they're made to, they're asked to make. That's the interesting part. I mean, the winning score really doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, how, how, how do you think Carnoustie fits in with the other Rota courses? What uh, kind of, in, in your opinion, what's its place among, um, you know, some of the other high profile venues? Um, well, well, it's the most difficult, um, day to day, um, that that's been borne out over the years, certainly with the, the, as you say, the, especially the, the carnage of 1999, which is to my mind, it's a bit of an aberration, to be honest. I mean, that, that you'll never see a Carnoustie like that ever again. I mean, the greenkeeper kind of was left to run amok. And I think the RNA have uh, stepped up since then and taken over the, you know, what goes on. Uh, that, that You'll never see that again, I don't think. Uh, that was a bit of nonsense, that 99 Open in many respects. But um, yeah, it's certainly, it, in my mind, certainly it's the most difficult. It's and it's certainly in the top three. I mean, I, I always I, I don't know about you, but I have trouble with uh, categorizing the old course on any list. I mean, the old course deserves to be on a list by itself. I mean, it's 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 off to the side somewhere on its own, and everybody else is on the other list. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of, I think where we're headed with the old course though is like you said, par just doesn't matter there. I, it's well, going to be really interesting what, what happens. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit worried. There. I'm a little bit worried about next year in terms of, uh, well, maybe worried is not the right word, but uh, I'm concerned if they get a flat cam week, um, the distances that they hit the ball now, um, I'm, I can see somebody, multiple guys breaking 60. Yeah. 
on on the old course. It's it's defences as as we all know are the weather and the wind. If you take that away, you're left with the pin positions, and that might not be enough given how far they hit it these days. Right, right. Did you follow any of the women's Scottish Open this week? Did you go yeah, by I chance? was there. I was okay. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what did you make of of that tournament? Obviously, Ryan O'Toole had a had an awesome uh, final round, grabbed her first LPGA victory. But anything uh, that you want to tip the people off on that that you're keeping an eye on going into this um, week? Well, I'll tell you, you might not be want to listen to anything I've got to say on this subject, and I'll tell you <laughs> why. Um, last Wednesday, I walked eight holes with um, three players, um, Christina Kim from America, Sue O oh from Australia, and one Ryan O'Toole. And I watched them play eight holes. And they got, the, the last hole I watched was the, the little par three, the eighth at Dunbarney Links. It was kind of into the wind. And Christina Kim and Sue O oh hit beautiful shots, you know, penetrating through the wind. And Ryan O'Toole had a couple of goes and hit both of them way too high. No penetration, came up kind of short of the green. I thought to myself, ah, she's got no chance. She'll miss the cut. And sure enough, you know, four days, five days later, Christina Kim was 56th, I think. 2-0 was 34th, and Rhino 2 won. So, so what do I know, really? You know. Uh, I love that. I love that. I, I'm, I'm the worst prognosticator as well. I, we, we have a little running um, pick segment that we do, and I am hopelessly far, well, far in last place. Well, uh, I'm the same, because I, I always think America's going to win the Ryder Cup, and they never do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, let's turn then to, I, I don't know if it's, is it proper to talk about um, Angus as the city or is Carnoustie the city? Help me out as a, as a very um, ignorant American here. Uh, wh- where does like the town of Carnoustie fit into the wider uh, city, I guess? Of, well, well of Angus. Ang- Angus is the county. It's, it's like your That's, state. Okay. Yeah, so Canusi is just a, one of the towns in Angus. I mean, it's down on the south coast of Angus, just east of Dundee. So um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not that big a place, but it's uh, it's got one hell of a golf course. So there's not much to <laughs> this is. I, that, that's kind of what I wanted to get into is if the town of Carnoustie, if there are any little spots or pockets or uh, restaurants that that make it unique in your um, opinion? Well, that's one of the criticisms I always hear from my American pals when they come over. Like, oh, there's nothing to do in Canoostie. There's nothing there. But, you know, there is one, at least one really good Indian restaurant I could I can think of. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, to be fair, the, there's not a lot going on in Canoostie other than the golf. I mean, it's uh, it's like a lot of little towns in Scotland. The, the, the whole, you know, society is built around the... The community is built around the, the, the golf course, and Canusti is a you know a classic example of that. Some of the best Indian food I've I've had has been going through Scotland. I I feel like it's it's everywhere. Yeah. Do you do you like Indian food? I do. I mean, I, the, to be fair, I only I always have the same thing. I don't eat it often enough to get sick of it. I always have a <laughs> king prawn biryani, so I would recommend that to your to your listeners. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, well, then let's talk about Scotland. I guess more generally, uh, what. You know, if if you were going on vacation, if you're going on holiday, uh, what what are some of your favorite places to go and explore around the country? Well, in, in terms of golf, or just generally? Honestly, it could be either. I, I'm somewhat more interested in non-golf, though. If oh, uh, well, uh, I'm not the you know probably not the 
best guy to ask again. That. I'm not the most rounded human being. Uh, I've spent most of my time involved in golf. Um, as far as that's concerned, I'm biased, but to East Lothian, where I'm from, is, um, is the place to start. There's three real pockets, four maybe, of great golf in Scotland. There's the northeast, where kind of where I am, Angus, up to Aberdeen, and a wee bit north of there, Cooden Bay and Fraserburgh, Peterhead are all very good. There's East Lothian, which has got Muirfield, North Berwick, Gulland and Bar, all those kind of places. And then Ayrshire, um, which has got Troon and Turnbury and the rest of them. And then up north, the Highlands, it's, it's terrific up there. I've got Dornoch, you know, Golsby, Elgin, Tain. You know, there's lots of really good golf up there. Just but, And there's nobody there. I mean, the thing about Scotland is that uh, if you go outside the, the four main cities, which is Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee and Aberdeen, I mean, the place is basically empty. You know, there's nobody there. You can drive for hours and hardly see anybody, a living soul hardly. But uh, So if you like that kind of thing, scenery-wise, and just driving around, it's definitely a place to go for a holiday. And where does, uh, sorry, the, the one thing you didn't mention, though, I, I don't think was St. Andrews. Is Does that? Yeah, that's in Fife. That's just kind of, well, Fife, that's a little bit south of here. I would include that in the, the kind of, almost northeast, but maybe that's slightly exaggerating. But uh, yeah, the, the St. Andrews is it's got a few um Fife, which is where St. Andrews is. The uh there's more than a few good golf courses there too. Yeah. 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 We I've only been over there one time and have you spent time at the Ducks Inn by chance in East East Lothian? Uh, I've never been in, no, but it's 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 probably more well, must be about seven or eight miles from where I was born, but I've never been in. No. Oh, so. Okay. I don't, uh, I don't know the owner. I don't know the owner. I mean, yeah, I've, not- I've lived up here for a te- maybe a decade now, as I said, and um, a wee bit, I'm a little bit detached from me slowly in these days. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm duck is the owner. Interesting character. Yeah. Uh, nice guy. But yeah, we spent, I guess it was maybe just one night there. Um, fun little pub bar restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was uh, good. But I, I think um, what I was blown away by the sorry, just to stay on East Lothian for for a sec was um, just how good North Berwick is as as a golf course. Um, we our first stop was at Kilspindy, and mm. then um, from there we went over and played North Berwick. And it struck me we we I played there before I had seen the old course in St Andrews, and almost having then gone to St Andrews, I, I thought back on North Berwick, and it's almost like a a miniature kind of less fussy uh mm. old course in my opinion just with the clubhouse right there behind the 18th hole uh a very special place I, i'm curious how that ranks on your uh personal course yeah, well i i lived in north berwick for for a couple of years and my my apartment flat was about oh, 350 yards from the first tee in north berwick so i'm i'm very familiar with yeah and, it, and it's the old-fashioned as you said it's like st andrews the 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 Golf course finishes basically in the town, mm-hmm. if you like. That, that was the old way of doing it. Lossy Mouth and up north is, is the same way. The 18th goes kind of into the town. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's North Berwick is uh, – uh, <laughs> it's an acquired taste in many ways, but uh, but an enormous fun. I mean, if you like hitting over walls and uh, – I mean, I, knew, I do know some people who think that, you know, the last five or six holes, they just get sillier and sillier as you go on, <laughs> but – that's the pretty cynical view. Um, then the 16th hole there with the, you know, the humpy bumpy green, um, that might be the, I always used to call that the the shortest par five in golf. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter how short your second shot was, you were going to take a five somehow. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. 
Uh, well, I'm jealous that, yeah, you got to call that home. I'm just thinking, um, gosh, just seeing people walking dogs along the, mm-hmm. along the course there, um, on the coast, such a, just a beautiful, beautiful spot. Um, yeah. So obviously I have not seen Carnoustie. Um, and the other one, I know the women are going to in a couple of years is, is Muirfield. And I yeah, was curious sure. what your thoughts are. Uh, it seems like long overdue, um, that they'll finally host a, a women's open there. Yeah, well, they had a Curtis Cup there back in the 1980s, which always struck me as slightly, you know, the same with Ross and George's. They had a Curtis Cup there in the 80s. Extraordinary decisions by the Ladies Golf Union to <laughs> take the, you know, the match to, to a course where they weren't welcome, basically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but Muirfield, yeah, I mean, they've, they've sorted themselves out membership-wise. And uh, yeah, it was just a matter of time before the uh, they the biggest events should be on the best courses. And, and to my mind, you asked the question earlier, but uh, yeah, Muirfield for me is, is number one course on the open rota. It's, it's the best, uh, but uh, again, with the caveat that the old course is off, you know, and all this by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well then let me ask you, let me, let me ask you about this. I, I, let's have a broader, if you don't mind, I would love to ask you kind of about your feelings on the broader state of golf at the mm. moment and the, the professional game. Hey, I get mm. one of the things I love about you, John, on Twitter is you're always, you're always fired up. You, you, you yeah. don't mind, you know, sharing. Well, your well, well, yeah. I like to press buttons, put it that way. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit of fun. Yeah. What's, what's got you most fired up these days? Well, is it, I saw something you just tweeted today about the USGA, something with their language. Oh, Are, well, this business of whole location and, penalty area and i mean really i mean what is that all about i mean golf's got this wonderful evocative rich language all of its own and some stuffed shirt as i said at the the usga comes along and decides that they want to make it bland and generic and i mean what's wrong with all square Why, why can't we say that if we're golfers instead of this tide i mean really all square, all square sounds much better than Tide. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, they're, they're sucking all the life out of the game. That's the, that's my issue with them. So. What, what do you make of the change of leadership at the USGA? Do you think it's a... Do, yeah. do you think Mike Wan's a good hire? I think it's an interesting move. I mean, it remains to be seen how it works. I have high hopes for him because he did a hell of a job at the LPGA. I mean, he transformed their fortunes over the last was it 10 years i think he was there uh, so i think he, he might just be exactly what the usga needs because he's far from the the stuffed shirt that i just described i mean that's uh he's a, he could be potentially i think a breath of fresh air for the usga and, and that's exactly what they need in the 21st century i mean they're still living in the 19th century in some ways so they need to move on and he might be the guy just to do that if you were counseling him, what what would you, you know, what what would you tell him that the top three items that he needs to address are? Well, the first one's obvious. He needs to do something about how far the pros hit the ball. Um, I have a feeling that he might be on the the right side of that argument, uh, based on some of the comments he's already made. Um, he he needs to get that right. Um, that is the biggest issue I think going forward. He certainly needs to, we've made a lot of progress in terms of the way that um, golf treats women. Um, It's a much more welcoming environment um, for women and kids. Most golf clubs, certainly over here, um, 
much work needs to be done still in that department, but we've made some real progress. And I think he might be the guy to to help that along. And uh, I can't think of a third right now. Are are you for? Are where do you fall in the bifurcation talk? Would you just be for a complete rollback? Does it matter to you? Do, you know, I I I've, I don't have an issue with with the so called bifurcation because I think we already have it. Um, the difference between the the game that that you and I play and the and the game that they play at the top level, it's never been more divorced from each other. So, to my mind, the the authorities have created bifurcation by doing nothing. Yeah, uh, that's where we are right now already. Uh, do do you think a rollback is pot? Like, uh, what what will it take to roll back the distance the ball goes at uh, at the professional level? Well, yeah, maybe I'm naive, but I think you know, just do it. You know, we we already did it. We we and in the the rest of the world, um, everywhere except America, we we already had a rollback. I remember in the early 80s being told that I couldn't play the small ball anymore and I had to use the big ball. And I lost 25 yards of my drives overnight along with everybody else. And did anybody really complain that thousands of millions of people leave the game because suddenly it wasn't any fun? No. So the precedent is already there. America just needs to get its head around and join the rest of us and do it again. Do you think the USGA can can spearhead that effort or... I mean, I, I feel like ultimately they're going to need buy-in from the PGA Tour, perhaps Augusta National, even uh, the PGA of America. I, I, I'm just wondering logistically if it's like well, too many cooks in the kitchen or if they can actually come to something. Yeah. Well, again, we're, we're worrying far too much about what the pros do. Who cares what, what game they play? Let them do whatever they want. You know, let the rest of us play the game, you know, the way it was supposed to be played. I was asked, you know, you're talking about the women earlier, the, the top women... There was an extraordinary piece earlier this year saying that you know how the women, some of the women were complaining about how they should be copying the men because the men scored lower, they make more birdies and blah blah blah, and that the women should therefore move their game towards the game that the men play. But it's exactly the opposite. The men should be doing playing the game the way the women play it at the top level because the yeah. women they don't hit it as far, so they play the golf courses the way they're supposed to be played. They hit the clubs into the greens that the designer originally envisaged the men don't do that they just hit seemed like they hit wedge to just about every hole i mean <clears throat> my mind goes back to the press the last president's cup at royal melbourne i walked around with my friend uh, mike clayton who you've probably come across of course uh, uh, he and i walked around watching tiger which was an education in itself i mean tiger was a by a mile the best player on either side that week just simply because of the golf course but I think Mike and I worked out that uh, to get the, those guys hitting the clubs to the greens at Royal Melbourne that um, Alistair McKenzie envisioned when he designed the place, it would have to have been just somewhere in excess of 9,000 yards long. <laughs> I mean, we've, that's madness. I mean, I, as I, get, I can never quite get my head around the, the, the reason why golf, unlike other sports where they've modified the equipment to save the venues, We've modified the venues to save the equipment. It doesn't make any sense to me that. Mm -hmm. We we've discussed too that you know just speaking of Tiger, if there was one person, I think that you know certainly now he's at a point in his career where I, I think he could maybe speak more freely. Like if there was one person that rolling back the the distance would help, it would have been Tiger Woods because his greatness was Absolutely. was 
so far above that of, you know, his, his peers that, you know, the, the equipment, the ball, the distance, that it almost bridged that gap a little bit, um, yeah. ironically. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, as great as Tiger was and as wonderful as his record is, it would have been even greater had the, he'd been, everybody been playing with the, the, the equipment that, um, you know, Jack Nicholas and Lee Trevino and Seve and the rest of them played with. I mean, Tiger yeah. would have, he, he might never have lost, my goodness. It, it was, he was so, so much better. And that, again, Royal Melbourne just showed that. I mean, it, Royal Melbourne asked questions of the players that they don't ordinarily get, certainly not on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. And he was so far ahead of everybody else. I mean, it was an education to watch how he played. I mean, it really was. And that, that to me, is proper golf, in inverted commas. And that's, that's how most of the top women play. Mm-hmm. certainly the style of play not they're not as good to see as nobody is but that's that to me would the the product the pga tour product the european tour product would be f- greatly enhanced if they knocked the ball back that, that's the irony of this is that they, they're not thinking long term they're thinking short term and they're satisfying the the yahoos who shout mashed potatoes and all that nonsense that's the, that seems to be the market that they're catering for rather than the you know, the more sophisticated, dare I say, um, golf viewer. Who excites you? What, what young guys do you look at and, you know, you, you appreciate the way they, they play? And young women, for that matter, I, yeah. men's and women's side. Well, I love watching Rory, like everybody else. Um, my favorites, you know, back in the day were Seve and before that Lee Trevino, uh, simply because they had more shots than everybody else. I mean, Again, Jeff Ogilvie, I'm sure you've come across Jeff in your sure. travels. Um, he still talks about playing the European Tour at the back end of Seve's career and when Jeff was just starting out. And if Seve went to the, the pitching green, everybody stopped and went to watch. You know, you who, who today has got that power to have everybody stop and watch? Maybe Rory hitting driver. Yeah, There's very few examples of that, you know. Okay, I got a couple questions here. Let's start on Seve. How do you think Seve would be received today in this social media age? And, and I guess I asked that, you know, what's what's been going on with Bryson? And, um, mm. you know, I, I think folks, I, I, think, I think he brings a lot of it on himself. I think there's certainly been yeah. some unfortunate uh, piling on. Uh, but I, as, as somebody that never obviously knew Seve, I, I never saw him play. I, he seems like a lightning rod. And I just wonder how he would be perceived uh, had he come around today with, with you know, the yeah. social media climate. Well, it's like everything else. There's two sides to it. Seve was far from perfect. I mean, uh, the, but the, one of the biggest tragedies uh, was Seve's relationship with America uh, and the PGA Tour specifically. Both lost out because of that hugely, I think. Seve, you know, Seve was the best player in the world for a period and he certainly played the most interesting game. I mean, if you were to ask yourself now, you would play, I'm a golfer, who would I like to play golf? You know, and Seve, was the, everybody wants to play like Seve. I mean, even even Nick Faldo, <laughs> I suspect, harbored those kind of thoughts. He'd rather have been Seve than, than himself in some ways. But yeah, that that was, it was such a shame and he wasn't faultless in this. I mean, it, it, there was two sides to it, as I said, but it was such a shame that he didn't um, play more in America and America didn't seem to get him. And I, I blame the media to, to a certain extent on that because it was though, there was an awful lot of lazy stories written about, you know, Seve was the, the matador and this. I mean, and they didn't really get to know him 
properly. Uh, and of course, it, it didn't help too that he was the kind of driving force in the European Ryder Cup team as, as the Europeans started to dominate. He, he, he kicked that off. And he, and he clearly took enormous pleasure from beating Americans, which outwardly uh, probably didn't go down too well. And that's why, you know, at the same time today with Sergio Garcia is that he loves to beat Americans in the Ryder Cup and it shows. And that's never going to go down too well on the other side, is it? Yeah, right, right. Um, what, what do you make of, so hearing you talk about Seve, I, that was my experience uh, watching Phil Mickelson growing up. I, I just mm. love the way he played the game of golf. And, I, you know, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on Mickelson, the golfer, and then, you know, Mickelson, the the persona. Well, if you ask Phil, I, I know Phil reasonably well. I used to get a one-on-one every year with him at the Scottish Open. Um he would sit down. Mostly, I think he wanted to hear my gossip as much as I wanted to hear his. <laughs> but uh, but if you talk to Phil and you mention Seve, be prepared to sit there for at least half an hour. Yeah, Phil Mickelson loved Seve. I mean, he he really got Seve and, and adored Seve. That was you know, and you can see that in the way Phil plays. But yeah, Phil Phil went way up in my estimation as a golfer when he won the Open mm-hmm. at Muirfield. Certainly the way and certainly the way he played. Um, only underlined that, but um, he'll tell you himself. I mean, he's, I think he said it many times publicly that um, the big gap in his resume w- was winning outside America and certainly winning on a links in a wind. And mm-hmm. he he rocketed up. I mean, in his own estimation of himself, I think um, certainly in mine when he won that. I mean, there was always a debate in my mind over who was the the second best player in the Tiger era. Was it Ernie Els or was it Phil? And Phil winning that Open and certainly, you know, again, winning the PGA again this year out of nowhere. Um, you know, Phil's probably got the edge in that now, albeit that you're comparing apples with oranges. I mean, Ernie's career was very different. He, was a, he wasn't American and travelled the world and that would take a toll over time, I would have thought. But if they played, both of them being American and played head-to-head for the 15 years, 20 years, whatever, when Tiger was number one, it would have been interesting to see who came out on top in that battle for number two. Yeah, yeah. I feel well, as if we're all over the map here. It, it is a little bit because I well, I didn't know how much you wanted to. You know, I there's not a lot to talk about, I guess, with like Carnoustie the town, which is kind of yeah. what you know we no, lean on. Not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I do want to pick your brain. I, I think you're, you know, obviously have great experience, great perspective on the wider game. So I hope you don't mind just having a golf no. conversation. No. Um, do you, do you enjoy, uh, let me ask you this. Do you enjoy watching professional golf? I, I know that's a weird, uh, yeah, I, I know. And I, I don't mean to like have that like a trick question, but I, I am mm. curious, you know, if, if you derive the same amount of pleasure as, as you used to. I don't, I mean, uh, um, if it, if it was 10 out of 10, Back in Seve's day, say just for, to use that as an example, it's maybe a six now. You know, um, just be, and certainly the my criticism of the PGA Tour. I mean, the, there's no doubt the PGA Tour is the biggest and best, obviously in the world. They've got more money than than everybody else put together. It seems like, but the, there's too much of a sameness um, to the to the questions asked of the players for me. I um, mean, they're asked very difficult questions, but they're, they're asked the same difficult questions too often. And that leads them to become, and this is not a criticism of their talent level or their skills, and these are enormously talented individuals. And I think they, they could adapt to whatever 
you asked of them. And that's the that's maybe the biggest shame of it is that they're capable of so much more that, than we get to see. The, as I say, they're asked the same difficult questions week to week too often. And that leads them to being very, very proficient at, at too narrow a form of golf. I'd like to see the, the range widened a bit. Different questions asked week to week. Can you hit the ball? You know, part of it comes back to the equipment, sadly, is that the not only does the ball, the modern ball, go too far, it doesn't go sideways enough. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult. I mean, I, I've had any number of players on both sides of the Atlantic say to me that you can't shape shots like Lee Trevino did or Seve did because the ball just won't let you. And I had a, one of my pals on the European tour is Nicholas Kolsatz, the Belgian player. Now, he is enormously gifted and can hit long irons. He might be the, he's certainly in the top three long iron players on the planet, I think, but he doesn't get nearly the benefit from that that he should get because as he says, everybody else is hitting these bloody hybrids <laughs> and can hit the shots as high and as soft as he can with his three iron. You know, if everybody was having to hit three irons, you know, Nicholas Kosatz would be doing an awful lot better than he is. And to me, things like that, examples like that are a shame. I mean, we're, we're almost wasting the, the talents of the, the, the truly gifted. We're not getting to see the full range of what they're capable of. Yeah. I, I just think back to, what was it, a few weeks ago when, when Bryson was uh, bemoaning, you know, that his, that his mishits weren't, weren't good enough. And I, so, so equipment, so obviously equipment plays a part in that. Do you think it's a matter of selecting better venues week to week on the PJ tour well, or is it more in the uh, course setup? I, what do you think practically? Yeah, it's that, probably a bit of everything. I mean, not better venues, just different venues. I mean, yeah. just, and as I say, if the, if the ball didn't go as far, it would open up a whole new world of, of, of possibilities in terms of where they could go. I mean, the, the classic example over here is, um, is Sunningdale where they played the, the senior open uh, recently this last month. That course is, I mean, it's such a wonderful, wonderful golf course, but you can't take the top pros there anymore because it's, it's pitch and putt. Mm-hmm. You know, the, what, as again, it gets back to the, you know, what, why are we, you know, screwing up these or taking, eliminating these wonderful venues because, the, you know, because of equipment. Surely we should be eliminating the equipment so that we can play these wonderful venues. It's all backwards. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you about golf media. What, what, uh, obviously you've seen, you've seen a ton. Yeah. Uh, I've, had, I've had, I've had my moments with uh, some of the, the more, uh, modern versions of that. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, what, 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 what do you make of, and I will put, you know, no laying up obviously fits in there. I, I think yeah. we've probably done some stuff that's made you a little upset, uh, from time no, to no, time, I, I, but I, I'm not upset. I just kind of <laughs> shake my head because I'm an old fuddy duddy at heart. I mean, I, I, I plead guilty to that. There's, I mean, there's, you know, it's there's faults on my side of the fence as well. Uh, do, do you think, I guess one thing we always try to, I don't know, just think about, or it's even just fun to talk about is, is just kind of where, where the game is headed. And um, I, I think you can include equipment. You can include, I, I guess, overall, holistically speaking, um, you know, I know you said you, not quite getting as much enjoyment out of professional golf. Uh, do you see it getting better anytime soon? Or do you, do you think we're on a road that's just, you know, it, it's going to continue to dilute and water down the product? I, that's well, a really hard question to ask you, but I'm just curious yeah. 
if, if there's optimism or or more cynicism maybe um well i i don't have high hopes as you you know hinted at earlier i don't think the the pg tour and the professional bodies are, are that inclined to to fix the equipment they, they seem to think that this is enhancing the product um and you know people do like to see long drives i i, I get that i mean that the, the Deschambault thing at uh, Bay Hill earlier this year w- was entertaining. I mean, there's no getting away from that. It was fun. But if you if you can stand behind a tee and tell the difference between a 350-yard drive and a 280-yard drive, you're a better man than me. I mean, I don't think people would, would lose out in, on that side of things if the ball was reined back. And, and until that happens, I hate to harp on about this, but until that happens, um, I, I don't see the you know things improving. I think the the path that the PGA Tour and the European Tour and the rest of them are on is is not one that they're going to deviate from anytime soon unless they're they're forced to. But again, it comes back to the bifurcation thing. I mean, I don't really care what they do. I mean, it's far more important what the rest of us do. I mean, golf in the you know sadly the, the way the world is these days. I mean, golf has flourished at the at the basic level. Um, more and more people are playing simply because you know golf's fun. Um, it's difficult, but it's fun, which gets me back to that, you know, the, that ball rollback that we went through when we went from small ball to big ball. You know, millions of people didn't leave because it was suddenly more difficult. It, it was almost more fun. It's more challenging. That, that's the part of the joy of golf is, is beating the elements, if you like. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Is yeah. I, I, what was it, a couple of years ago? Um, I remember, I think it was the old tailor-made CEO, Mark King, maybe was talking mm. about, well, let's make the cups bigger, you know? And it's like, <sighs> what I, to, to me, I, I totally like what makes golf fun and what I get pleasure from is the, the absolute challenge of just trying to get better and, and trying to do it like well. And, and I'm not any good. I'm, you know, I'm a 10 handicap at the moment, but, but I enjoy that that challenge. And, um, I just wish more people embrace that, I guess, or thought of it that way instead of the needing the gratification of, you know, Oh, I just need to do well or I don't know. Yeah. I mean, things are kind of out of why, I mean, I give again, my friend, Mike Clayton, who's a, you know, Oracle as far as uh, talking about golf is concerned, you should have had him on rather than me, (laughs) but, um, he, he puts it best. He said way back in the day when, you know, golf was evolving, the, the equipment wasn't very good and the courses were were winning the battle, if you like. They were, they were they were too difficult for the equipment that they had back then. The equipment obviously got better and for a long time it, it was a pretty fair fight between the courses and the equipment. But the equipment again moved on and now we're at the stage where the equipment is winning the battle between them and the course too easily. Mm-hmm. And that needs to we need to move back to where we need to get the Sunningdale's back back in play, if you like, and make it make it a fair fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me change topics entirely. John, do you do you read? Uh, do you enjoy reading uh, golf books? I, I'm curious. Yeah. If so well, what what some of your favorite books or what some of your favorite uh, authors are? Um, if I'm looking around the room here, there's about <laughs> there's hundreds of them. Um, what have I been just, some of the most formative? Um, well, I. <laughs> way back in the day, I mean, I was only, I think I got for my 13th uh, Christmas at, when I was 13, I got the Mark McCormack annual, you know, the 
review of the yearbook that they come out with every year since. I've got every one of them, I think. But I, it's even now the things I can tell you about what happened in 1973. I mean, I devoured that book. Um, I've, I've moved on. I like um, I like a good biography. I've just been reading an autobiography. I'm working on a story um, on the Welsh player who's long dead now, Di Rees, who was the kind of first Mr. Ryder Cup, hmm. uh, way before Ian Poulter claimed that title. Um, and I read his autobiography, and it's fascinating to, to just, I mean, it's old-fashioned language, you know, but it's, that's the kind of thing I like. I mean, I'm, the older I get, maybe I'm more and more of a history buff. Um, I'm not a big Bernard Darwin fan. Um, I don't know. I just I can't get my head around him. That's you know, interesting. He's overrated, oh, that's overrated really, in my mind. You're the first person I've ever heard say that. Yeah, give me Pat Ward Thomas or those other guys. They were they were much more interesting, I think, than, than Darwin. I think he disappeared up his own backside too often for me. <laughs> but uh, that's just me. I mean, I, I understand that's a minority view. Yeah. Any uh, any contemporaries that you really enjoy reading? Um, yeah, I mean, there's some gifted people out there. I mean, um, Jaime Diaz has always been a great favorite of mine. Um, Tom Callahan. I think is uh, certainly the best writer I know. Um, he's not, obviously he's been across all sports, but the, the Tom's golf writing, um, just it makes you sick really when somebody can write as well as that. I mean, you just think, really, it's like, it's like, you know, being a 15 handicapper playing with Jack Nicholas, you know, yeah. in comparison. Um, Alan Shipnock is, is clearly gifted. Um, I'm a fan of his stuff, but the, the, there's a few, I mean, you know, the, the, there's not as many as there used to be though. I mean, we're, simply because of the war of attrition that, that's mm-hmm. gone on. Um, there's fewer and fewer of us doing uh, what I do for a living. Uh, Bill Fields is another one I really enjoy. I think Bill's, again, gifted writer. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I'll read anybody that's good, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that transition from, you obviously were a gifted player growing up. Uh, how did How did you then kind of go the route of, of golf journalist. Was that oh, something you well, always wanted to do or, or just? No, kind of- well, I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking back in the day. I, the only thing I was any good at school was English. Um, I was a C student and everything but English. Um, but I, I left school uh, and I worked in a bank for two or three years after I left school. Quickly had enough of that. And I, I went to university um, after that. I uh, got a degree in business. Why I wasn't doing English is, again, a mystery. But anyway, I, I was at Stirling University in Scotland, and uh, I wrote to every golf-related company I could think of uh, my last year there. And uh, Golf World magazine in London came back and offered me a job. Uh, I was in charge of the instruction department um, there. And at the time, the Golf World was owned by the New York Times, which also owned Golf Digest in America. And there was a swap. Um, an editor from Golf Digest came to London for a couple of months, and I went to Digest for a couple of months in the summer of 1987. Then we went back to London, and a few months after that, a golf a job came up at Golf Digest, and and I got that. I was the instruction editor at Golf Digest while I was there. Uh, I like to tell people that um, when I arrived at Golf Digest in 1988, the, the average handicap of the average reader was 17.8. And when I left in 1996, the, the average handicap was 17.8. <laughs> this despite the fact that we cured the slice, we, we eliminated the three putt, we got them up and down in two every time, we added 20 yards to their drives, 
it didn't seem to make any difference. It was very disheartening. Oh, it's it's all right there. It just you just got to read it. It's yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All the all the answers are are right there. Well, that's interesting. What through the years, what what sticks out? What what story or what project that you've um, written and worked on kind of has has meant the most to you? Um, generally, I mean, I was very lucky at Golf Digest. I mean, joking apart. Um, professionally that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me was going there and certainly working with it. I got to work with all the best teachers, you know, David Ledbetter, Peter Costas, Hank Haney, uh, guys like that. And that was, you know, a, a huge education. I, I saw the difference between them and the, you know, the rest, if you like, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the way their minds work is something to, to see up close. And, you know, and, and I ghosted stories for, you know, Faldo and Nick Price and, you know, a whole bunch of other players um, over the years, and they needed a bit more help <laughs> probably than the teachers did in the writing part of it. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, I saw the best doing what they did up close, and that was a huge privilege, to be mm-hmm. honest. I, I don't know why this just popped into my head, but I, I meant to ask you about Rory and mm. do you think he's got another major in him, right? Like, he has to. The, yeah, he, he can't be stuck think. on four forever, right? What, what do you make of him as just a golfer in, in the last several years, um, his, his, the, the path that he's on, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think um, people ask me all the time, you know, do, how, do you know Rory? And, and I do know Rory a little bit. I wouldn't pretend to know him properly, but I actually get on much better, understandably, with his father. His father is the same age as me. He's got the same kind of background. He's a low handicap player. You know, we, he and I have got a fair amount in common to talk about, which we do when I, when I see him. I haven't seen him for a while now for obvious reasons. But, uh, but Rory is the product of a, of a great environment. And he's in, I, th- I find him enormously likable. Um, I think as a player, uh, I think part of his problem, if you can in inverted commas call it a problem, is that he might just be too rounded for his own good. You know, he's interested in other things. You know, obviously he's got a family now, married and, and a child. Um, that's a huge priority for anybody. Uh, he might just be, you know, again, as I say, too rounded for his own good as a player. He, he's, he's not, that's not to say he's, he's not dedicated. He, he clearly is. I mean, I don't think too many work harder than he does. But at the end of the day, it's not everything. It doesn't seem to be everything to Rory, to me. And, and that's not a bad thing. By any means, it, it makes him a far better human being. But you do wonder slightly, is it going to make the difference between four majors and nine, say? Would he be near the top of the list for you of guys, you know, current tour players that you would want to have a pint with and, yeah, and just talk to? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. I mean, I think you could have a really good dinner with Rory and, and chat about, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. And, and find him interesting. I mean, I don't always agree with him. And he certainly doesn't always agree with me because I've heard <laughs> about it from, but, um, but that's, that's part of the deal, isn't it? I mean, if you agree with some, you know, on everything, I mean, how, that's pretty boring. I would have thought. So. Sure. Sure. Um, well, John, what else, what else, um, anything else you need to get off your chest or, or anything else, uh, I, that that that's got you hot under the collar at this moment. Yeah, I, I apologize really. to listeners. You know, we didn't really dive yeah. into 
yeah. into the You're beauties stuck. and majesties of Scotland. But I, I really enjoy just talking golf with you and firing a lot of questions at you. Yeah, you're actually starting to sound like Dan Jenkins, who was <laughs> uh, who was at Golf Digest. I was sadly no longer with us, but I knew Dan pretty well um, through my time at Digest, and and he always greeted me with the same line every time he saw me, which was maybe four or five times a year. Well, what's pissing you off this week is always the first thing he said to me. Yeah, <laughs> And that was actually, we should have touched on this earlier. One of the, the great things about being at Golf Digest, um, certainly back in the day, was at the Masters every year, we, we always stayed in the, the Jernigan house. It was, the family was called Jernigan. And we stayed in this exotic, weird house. But anyway, there was a huge big table um, and guys would come around at night. And I, I can remember just sitting in the corner of the room, not saying a word, and sitting around the table you'd have tom callahan dave anderson frank hannigan dan jenkins dave marr used to come in and just they would try and outdo each other telling stories and my goodness i wish i'd taped some of those things it was fantastic can you imagine listening to all those guys in one evening no i that's that that's i love nothing more and honestly getting to talk to guys like you i was gonna say i i don't want to make you too embarrassed or blow sunshine up your up your butt but just having the opportunity to to talk to guys like you and and alan and michael bamberger and and Mm. i talked to james corgan a couple weeks ago i mean yeah we've i've been reading you guys and listening to you guys and and just yeah just hearing your stories is is a big thrill for me um and so i i can imagine you know you were in that situation once and and getting to you know, hear all the stories from, from the generation prior to you. It's, I, I love that. I, I just to be a fly on the wall. Uh, yeah. That must've been an amazing experience. Yeah. And Peter Dobriner was another one that was there. I forgot about him, but he, he was uh, again, no longer with us, but they were just fascinating people and they had such great, wonderful stories. I mean, Dave Marr could hold his own with those guys. I miss Dave Marr hugely. I mean, he's, he was, uh, he might be one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Dave Marr He's a wonderful guy. Well, I'll, uh, I've, I've taken about an hour of your time, John. Uh, I did want to ask you, will you be coming stateside at all for either the Solheim or the Ryder Cup by chance? Uh, sadly, no. Um, I'm kind of stuck, because even if I, I think I would have been at the Ryder Cup, but my um, journalist visa for America ran out in March this year. Okay. And uh, you need, if you, you can help me out by speaking to your embassy in London, um, I can't get an appointment until next year. To renew okay. it, I will. Um, yeah, I'll make a call uh, as soon as we as soon yeah, as we're yeah. done. <laughs> so I'm stuck. I can't. I can't get to America to work uh, okay. right now, I'm, and I'm not the only one in that position, sadly. So. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, hopefully, one of these days, maybe next year, um, I'd love to run across you in person, and uh, maybe we can have a beer together somewhere. Yeah, uh, but well, sounds good. Are, are you buying? I of course I'm buying. Oh, well, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm a typical yeah. Scotsman. Yes. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, we're supposed to come to Scotland. We've had a Scotland trip postponed now. It was originally for 2020 and then it got postponed again this year. Uh, we, we may be coming to Scotland uh, April of, of next year. But so if you're around well, St. Andrews at all, uh, maybe well, we could... you should you should take one step down and play the, you know, the kind of next level courses. You, you've done Canusti and Troon and Turnberry and St. Andrews and all those, you know, the places you have to do first. Next time you go, take a step down and go to Montrose and Dunbar and Cruden Bay and Peterhead and Fraserborough and Galsby places like that, the, the, the kind of one step down from the, the world famous ones, you'd have far more fun. 
Well, I'll tell you what, maybe my favorite course that we played last time in Scotland was, uh, have you ever been up to Cullen? No, I haven't. No. The, the Cullen Links. Yeah. yeah. A fabulous little course. I think it's yeah. 4,800 yards, but all the challenge you could ever, you could yeah. ever want. That to me is more fun these days. I mean, I, I don't play very well these days, so I'm, I have more fun playing the, you know, the, the ones that are not going to beat me to death, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, can I just ask you, do you ever get up to the Northwest of the country that, that area always fascinates me. Um, like the, the real Northwest part of the, of yeah, Scotland. I haven't, not, not much is the short answer to that. That's uh, it's so remote. I mean, you've got to make a, it's an epic trip even from where I am yeah. to go. Although I'm, uh, I'm going this weekend, uh, to Isla off the West coast uh, and I'm going to play the Macri oh, nice. on Monday. Uh, one of my closest pals is the head greenkeeper there. So. We're going to play there. Unfortunately, we were going to try and play the Ardfin course on Jura the following day, but it's booked up for a corporate deal. Uh Um, So we're missing out on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much great golf. I mean, you go to Shiskin on Arran, you know, the 12-hole course. Mm -hmm. The the best 12-hole course in the world, probably. probably. Uh, There's just things like, there's so many things you can do in golf in Scotland. You know, again, one step down from the, the things you need to do first. Yeah. The second and third and fourth trips should be far more interesting, I think. What's the best way to explore Scotland? By car or is it, can you get to train? Can you get by train to most of these um, more no, remote you, outlets? You would, really, you would really need a car. You could do some of it by train, but most of it you would need a car. Um, and how good are you at driving on the left-hand side? Oh, I, 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 I had a couple moments where I'm like, wait, something doesn't feel right. Uh, and a couple of times yeah. where I pull out and I'm cruising on the, the left side, I'm like, wait, this isn't right. I need to get yeah. over. Yeah. And, how, and how you deal with roundabouts. I mean, my, my friend, Tom Callahan, he always says that the Scottish people are the, they're the friendliest people in the world. He says, every time I, I fly into Scotland, I get my car, I rent my car at the airport and I drive to the first roundabout. And everybody's waving to me. He says, they're so nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I need a lot of practice uh, yeah. driving over there. All right, John, I will, I will let you go. I, I, I know this was a scattershot interview, but I really do appreciate your oh, time and insight. And uh, it, it was a real pleasure to get to talk to you today. Yeah, no problem at all. Anytime. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who